When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And folks, we wanted to open today's episode with the unfortunate news in the hockey world that came to light on Wednesday. Five players from Canada's 2018 gold medal winning world junior team have taken a leave of absence from their current clubs as reports have surfaced that five members of that team have been asked to surrender to police to face sexual assault charges. NHL players Michael McLeod and Cal Foote of the New Jersey Devils, Carter Hart of the Philadelphia Flyers, Dylan Dubé of the Calgary Flames, and former NHL player Alex Formentin, who was playing overseas, have all been granted indefinite leaves of absence from their respective clubs. For background, London, Ontario police opened an investigation in 2022 after word emerged that Hockey Canada had settled a lawsuit with a woman who reported she was sexually assaulted by eight members of that gold medal winning team at a gala. All that we know at this point is that London police will be holding a press conference on February 5th to give further details. But in the meantime, we wanted to just take the opportunity to say that the woman who was the victim is in our thoughts and that we hope that she can eventually find some peace and justice from this horrific incident. And those who are responsible will be brought to justice. That said, Taylor, on to the Sabres, who are on the losing end of yet another brutal game, this time against the basement-dwelling Anaheim Ducks. The Sabres fell 4-2, to but do not be mistaken, folks, this game was not nearly that close a very very rough start to this west coast road trip for the sabers and taylor i gotta tell you it begs the question how the hell is don granado still gonna have a job after this trip what are your thoughts on the game and granado's job status it's uh, (laughs) it's bad i don't understand how i mean we've we've kind of said this before that he his job he should be on the hot seat more or less is what we've said but at this point, I don't think there's any way around it. You got to fire him. Too much of this. We we talked about how this road trip needed to be, even if they, not just this road trip, but the stretch against bad teams, they needed to be like 10 and 2. Even if they, they were 10 and 2 in this stretch, they wouldn't necessarily get them back and do it. It'd be a first step. Well, they went on the road to a team that was 15 30 and 1, a team that's scored 100, well, before the game, had scored 116 goals and given up 160. And they kind of got dog-walked. I mean, the first period was even, which I don't like, but you do first period on the road like that where you play a little bit better than them, I guess, kind of even a little bit better. They had some good chances near the end, particularly on the power play. And for the millionth time this year, they couldn't score in the first period against a, a not very good goalie. This isn't some bum or rando, but it's John Gibson, who for five years now has been league average or slightly below it. So that was a problem. The second period, though, wow, what a disaster. Uh, I should say, I believe it was already one nothing going into the second, but didn't feel terrible about their odds of winning. And then they got outshot 17-2 for a stretch. They just got totally dominated by one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, in another year, it could have been like the, the, this Ducks team we'd be talking about is the worst team in the league in a, a pretty normal year. <laughs> If a year where there weren't two other teams in the West who are somehow worse, some of the worst teams of all time. So this, it's just a, it's, it's an astounding loss. And just the way it happened was insane. And frankly, the Sabres, even when they got down three nil in a second, they didn't immediately what normally happens as you turn around and then all of a sudden you're getting all the chances and you're taking all the shots, but it's too little too late. 
Well, they didn't even do that right away. That took until like 15 minutes left in the game. And it was just a frustrating effort. Uh, it was, it was, there's so many things that are annoying about it. Uh, but chief among them, the fact that their offense, which is pretty healthy, I don't know how healthy Skinner was while he was playing, couldn't do anything against this terrible Anaheim defense that they at one point were even in shot attempts, but were being outshot 29 to 17 because they kept taking all these feeble perimeter shots, couldn't get anything going on the rush, couldn't get anything going. Uh, once they got into the zone, couldn't make any, uh, couldn't, or I guess, create any dangerous scoring chances. And that's, I, I don't know what to say about that. An offense with this much talent, there's just no way around it. That can't happen. And I'm, I know that there's individual players who aren't playing well, and there's guys who have been injured and haven't had as good of a year, and I'm sure there's some regression, maybe even some bad luck. But more than anything, it's bad coaching. You cannot look at this team with the talent they have on offense playing this way, and again, also playing the way they do on special teams, and not immediately think it's bad coaching. And folks, it's not immediate anymore. We're almost 50 games into the season. So it's that's my basic thought on it. It's a disaster. The fact that they got within a goal late, doesn't really matter to me. I hear you. You know, Jordan Greenway in this one had a goal and an assist, but I think a perfect example of what we're talking about when it comes to things coming down to coaching, you know, Greenway, his whole game is supposed to be this big physical presence there that's imposing and gives you something in this forward group that you don't have. And the main clip that was going around last night was not of Jordan Greenway's goal. It was of him in the offensive zone with a defenseman with the puck on his stick behind the net and Greenway just without giving any effort to check this guy, body this guy, go after the puck, just almost lackadaisically skates by him. And it was a moment that like, as watching the game, you're like, you kind of have to like stop for a second and catch yourself and be like, did that really just happen here? Yeah. You know, like what I, what, what a lot of this disconnect is for me. And, you know, I, I, I know that a lot of people have pointed out, how well-liked Granado is. From what we know, Granado among the players is, is very well-liked. That said, these guys know how bad this year has gone. I don't care to what degree you're saying you're blocking out the outside noise or whatever. And even if they were saying that, it would be bullshit. But they know that things are going very bad. They know that yeah, hope there's coach... some inside noise on that one. What's that? hope there's some inside noise in that well, regard. exactly and they know that granado's job very well could be in danger and i gotta tell you taylor i haven't seen any sense of consistency in them playing as though their coach could be fired any day now yeah if i'm all about this coach and i believe that he's the guy and this that and the other I would be busting my ass every shift out there. That has to be the mentality that you would have in a situation like this where it's not even just the coach for that matter too. Anybody on this team should have this mentality of like, well, we all could be on the chopping block here. So what's so frustrating is that they are not playing and giving efforts like a team that season is just slowly slipping away. I, I mean, I haven't, I didn't listen to any of the remarks after the game, but we all know the, the past few weeks, all of the remarks have been, oh, we got to get it together. We got to get it together before it's too late or something along those lines. That's what we're hearing from the coaches, the players, whatever, that it's like, we got to correct this after these pitiful losses that they keep having, um, that they don't tolerate it, whatever. I haven't seen any sort of, real legitimate change or turning a corner for the better in any degree, not even like these guys are going out there and they're skating their asses off and they're just getting outworked or outplayed by a team. Like you just lost four to two to the Anaheim ducks and got so embarrassingly outplayed that you just, uh, I'm beside myself. I don't even know where I'm going with this because I am just so, awestruck at the complete lack of care or urgency urgency pride any of that not only is your season slipping away but a guy's job is slipping away and 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 from granado's sake too man 
there's just no fire there. There's no fire under the guys. There's no fire behind the bench. Like we see, we've seen Granado during his tenure a few times. He'll get heated behind the bench or yell at the refs or whatever. We don't really see that in the post game. And I'm not even saying it like I'm acting. I'm asking for him to like throw guys out to dry or anything like that. Like it just feels as though they all are content with this. That yeah. Adams is content with this. That Granado is content with this. That Terry Pagula is content with this. Yeah. I mean, it's embarrassing. Like what more is to say other than the fact that they just continue to embarrass themselves. And it's at the point now that they have dug themselves in such a deep hole with how they started off this year that they cannot afford to lose these games. They just can't. And we're getting to the point now that we're almost at the end of January here. There's a week left in the month. We're probably two weeks away, three weeks away, potentially like we'll see how the first, you know, week or two out of the all-star break goes, but we're going to know the season's going to be wrapped up by the end of February. Remember meaningful games in March. Remember that that's not even going to be a thing this year, a year after you broke 90 points for the first time in 10 years plus years, I should say. Yeah. Uh, I would say there aren't going to be meaningful games in February. The way things are going right now, I don't see what's so meaningful about these games, except like which one gets Don Granado fired. That's fair. (laughs) I mean, how can you, how can you refute that? It's the truth. Yep. Oh my God. Well, and and so coming up, I mean, we're going to, you know, it'll, the game will be over with by the time that this episode comes out, but they're playing the Kings 1030 on Wednesday evening. Kings overall have been struggling quite a bit lately. Cam Talbot, after his really strong start to the year, has completely just the wheels have come off there, folks. That said, the Kings are trying to keep afloat in this Western Conference playoff race right now. And the Sabres are, I feel like, just back to being a team that it's like, all right, let's recalibrate and and get back on track after giving a, a bad team a good ass whooping. And I don't know about you. Maybe this is the pessimist in me. It feels like that's what's coming tonight. I don't know. I honestly don't even know what to expect at this point. It's, I mean, last night was such a a devastatingly bad effort. I don't know. But I guess I could see that. Like, oh, yeah, the Sabres win two to one in a really uninspiring way. And then it's just like, oh, that's not a bad win. It is. I don't know. It's it, it totally is. I mean, let's look at LA's recent games here. Their last five, they're two and three. And their last five. Actually, oh boy, it's bad. Oh my God, I can't go back. I can't do their last five. Are you ready for this? Have you been following along with how bad things have been for the Kings lately? Oh yeah. I saw well, that the, the, the graph of their points meeting the Oilers points. Yeah. So let's go through for everybody who maybe hasn't been paying attention as much out West. We're going to go to the start of the calendar here. Okay. Ja- first game of the new year, January 2nd against Toronto. And I'm just going to go through and say the opponent and scores Toronto, January 2nd, three to nothing loss. January 4th, the Red Wings, four to three shootout loss. January 7th, Capitals, 4 to 3 loss. January 9th, Tampa Bay, 3 to 2 overtime loss. Florida, January 11th, 3 to 2 overtime loss. Detroit, the 13th, 5 to 3 loss. They get their first win of the month on the 15th against Carolina in a 5 to 2 win. Follow that up with a 5 to 1 loss against Dallas. 2 days later they lose 2 to 1 to Nashville. Then they beat the Rangers 2 to 1 on the 20th. And then they lose to the San Jose Sharks four to three in a shootout on Monday. Two wins in the entire month. That is two wins and just counting them as just straight up losses. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They are two and nine. Well, I got a bit of news about that, though. They also lost their last two games in December. Oh, my God. God, it's bad. It's really bad. So again, like this is, it's just going to be another one of those games where it's like, 
you know, are you going to be able to beat up on a team that is in a tailspin right now? Or are you going to be the team that allows them to get a big win and get back on track? And I have a, I just have a very bad feeling that it's going to be a rough loss. I don't know. I don't know. Even if it's a a hard fought loss, it's still nonetheless is unacceptable. Yeah, it's, God, it's brutal. And I also, I, we didn't even mention this yet. Connor Clifton had one of the worst plays I've ever seen. Oh my God, Taylor. Go ahead. Lay it out. And I, I don't remember if it was on the second goal or the third goal, but it was just basically him skating alone with the puck and then falling and losing the puck at the same time, uh, leading to a break the other way where he then went down and didn't cover anyone on an Anaheim goal. Like mm. the way he tried. So first of all, watching it, it's it's like watching a baby deer try to skate. It's it's insane. Isn't but horrible. Then coming back though, he looked like a no defense winger, trying to be like, oh, what do I do again?" When the, the other team has a rush the other way, he's a defenseman who they signed for three years. I don't know. I the, the further along we get on this, I think that's gotta you gotta make a drastic move here and maybe do one of two things. Uh, one of three things, sorry. The first is seeming nearly impossible right now. Find a trade partner. Yikes, I don't know. The other one is wave him at the end of training camp, just plan it that way, which I don't think you can keep doing with defense NHL defensemen over and over. I, I don't know if that's a good move. And the other one is just admit your mistake and do a buyout. Do we know what the buyout numbers look like? I actually, let me look at that, but... You give me your thoughts on uh, Clifton's effort while I do that. I mean, it's embarrassing. Like, it is just terrible. And I want to actually, Jeremy White, I was, uh, I I turned on the car today. uh, WGR was on as it was coming on, and he was going through a a segment or they were having a conversation about the Sabres, (laughs) their acquisitions since trading Jack Eichel. And I got to tell you, I don't know how another team in the league would be able to keep a coach on board with this track record. The tweet that he he had ended up tweeting it out after they had talked about it. Buffalo Sabres assets acquired in trades since the Eichel dump and change in November of 2021. You ready for this? Just unbelievable list of super of superstars. Johnny Boychuk's rights. Malcolm Subban, Ben Bishop's rights, Jordan Greenway, Riley Stillman, Joseph Cecchioni, Eric Robinson, a third, fourth, sixth, and seventh round pick, and future considerations twice. Taylor, that's two and a half years. Yeah. Two and a half years, and that is all you have to show for trades? And I know Clifton didn't come via trade, obviously, but... The big acquisitions this year, Connor Clifton and and Eric Johnson, and and they also had gone on to point out that the whole premise of the Clifton signing was pretty similar to Colin Miller in a way, where it's a depth defenseman on a good team who has good underlying numbers, and you take a chance on them, hoping that they are going to be able to step up and excel in an expanded role on a much worse team. I have a little idea, Taylor. What if, just hear me out here. I know this is going to be a lot, but what if the front office, Kevin Adams, instead of trading and signing bad players, tried to trade for somebody good? What are your thoughts? You know, there's a lot There's a lot there. I don't think a lot of people are ready to hear that, uh, this new age type stuff. People are very traditional. Uh, they think the Sabres should uh, get all of their good players exclusively from them wandering in or uh, perhaps just asking for a tryout. So I don't know if they're really into the idea of trading for good players. Mm. But I will say this on the Clifton thing. His buyout is $1.1 million a year for the next four years. Send it. Something to consider, yeah. The cap's going to be in the 90s. Send it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want him. Do it. Get it yeah. over. It's a waste of a spot. 
Also, I got to say this to him as well. The Colin Miller comparison, I don't agree. Colin Miller was exactly as you described it. A guy that was a depth piece, stepped up to him in a larger role and wasn't ready, and then went back to being a depth piece somewhere else and was better. But he was st- he he was the exact way you described that. Cutter Clifton was a depth piece on the best regular season team ever mm-hmm. and has been kind of asked to be a third-pairing guy playing fewer minutes per game. That's playing fewer point. minutes. On a team that was, I don't know, we want to say last year, a a bubble playoff team, and looks like the worst defenseman in NHL history. (laughs) That's a little bit of an exaggeration, obviously. But he looks like an AHL-level guy, unlike Miller, who looked not ready to be, like, a second-pairing guy. So I don't don't think there's a comparison for this. No, that's fair. That's a great point. Austin was paying him. (laughs) He said it was an identical contract years prior. Like, everyone said this was a good idea. When they signed Eric Johnson, a lot of people were like, ugh. Tough year for Eric Johnson. He kind of fell off a cliff at age 35. And I don't know if there's coming back from that, but blah, 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 veteran leadership. When they signed Clifton, it was like, ah, third-pairing guy. Pretty good. Three years, I don't know, but he's pretty good. But, like, he's an AHLer. But I don't know what to say about it. But there was even talk, and this just furthers the argument for how bad he's been. I feel like when he was signed, it was to be potentially Power's partner. Yeah. Like, that was what it was because everybody was expecting them to make some kind of a big move, whether it was maybe they try and go get Hannafin or a, a name along those lines. And they signed Clifton and we've talked about it when they first acquired him, that people were like, Oh, well, you know, he had a, an extended look with Hampus Lindholm and he looked pretty good there. Maybe this is what power needs a little bit of that stability. And he is just so spectacularly fallen short of that and to the point that like you said like this is an ahl level guy where i'm like bring my man riley stillman back up like what what are we doing with this guy here yeah it's it's kind of crazy and i know a lot of people were a little nervous he got benched in the playoffs last year i should say he played 78 games last year in the regular season at almost 18 minutes a game for that team Mm. Um, i'm sure he wasn't carrying his defensive pair but yeah, he did. After three playoff games, he did get benched. And I have heard the thing from Bubin's fans that he was inconsistent, that he looked like a different guy depending on the month, uh, which I, I said before on here. Maybe it gives me hope that eventually he'll look like a totally different guy than he does now. However, I should also mention uh, in his previous playoff round, starting in 18 19, when they went to the Cup, he played 18, 8, 10, and 7 games. So, like, that was kind of an anomaly that he got benched there at the end. I don't, yeah. I don't remember who he got benched for, or what the deal with that in the playoffs was. Uh, my mind was on other things when the Bruins were getting their ass kicked. Like, hey, <laughs> how funny is this shit? But, yeah, maybe that was, that's a concern, obviously. But I don't know. It's still weird to me that this guy played 78 games. They trusted him all year. And then, I don't know, it just at the end of the year, uh, they didn't. And then all of a sudden, he's terrible. And he's not old. So I don't, I don't know what to say. And there's that whole thing about him calling his dad and – being like, you can just tell me what's going wrong with my game. Because uh, his dad won't tell him, I guess, unless he asks. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's a bad sign. He knows he knows that something's wrong. He doesn't know what it is. I don't know. I think a lot of times this has been the case with Dowling in the past, too. <laughs> you know what's kind of crazy about that, though, really quick? Mm-hmm. It should not be uh, dad's job to tell him what's wrong with his game. There are people <laughs> paid for this. <laughs> my god what are we doing i didn't even think about that that just showed a little bit of lack of faith <laughs> oh, yeah it, it's bad but it's also a mental thing sometimes oh. defense i think i mean any any position can be especially goal setting but sometimes guys uh i don't know getting their own heads about that stuff i'm gonna turn into the joker problems i am i'm going to become the joker because of this team i actually let's let's hear a word from from DraftKings. i have Unless you have anything else you want to say about the Ducks game. Uh, I have a question that I want to pose to you that was posed to me by my uh, pessimistic pal, Kev, who I've referenced on the show before plenty of times. He threw a question at me that, like, on the surface, you know, it comes off as a joking question. But I want you to really think about it and tell me what you think. But let's hear from DraftKings first. I already have an answer. I know you're going to ask. You're going to ask Gear Bear or... Gene Sebastian Jaguar. I got to take Jaguar because of playoff success. Okay, fair. This podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. We know hockey games move fast, but with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you can score faster than anything happening on the ice. This week, new customers can bet five bucks and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. 
So, for example, you might notice lines on tonight's game. If you're listening to this, tonight means Thursday. The Ducks, remember them? They're in Dallas. And, in fact, DraftKings, these professional odds makers, are so unconfident in these Ducks that just dog walk the Sabres that they have Dallas as minus 320 favorites on the money line currently as I'm reading this on Wednesday. Wow. I know that Dallas is at home, but, geez, that shows a lack of faith on a team that – uh, just outscored the Sabres 17 or sorry, outshot the Sabres 17 to two in the period. Uh, so if you're looking to get on that kind of action or any kind of sports betting action, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code THPN. New customers bet just $5 in the NHL and get $200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text hope Y. 467-369 in Connecticut. Help us available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 and over, but age will vary by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2024. All rights reserved. All right. Are you ready for this question I have for you, Taylor? Yes. Okay. So as was announced on Wednesday in what seemed like a pretty disgusting move of using some press to try and unsuccessfully bury the Hockey Canada headlines, it was announced that Salt Lake City is like actively very seriously seeking out an NHL expansion franchise. Kev today texts me. And this is not Kev N.T. Ryder, who was a uh, reoccurring guest and, and pal. Um, he texted me today, though, and is like, I have a hot take, but I don't think it's that. Or I have a take, and I don't think it's that hot. He's, he asked, would the Sabres be better off giving the entire organization, the players, the coaches, general manager, front office, team name if they have to, everything, to Salt Lake City, and they start over here with the one condition that Terry has to sell the team someone else. Would the Sabres be better off completely starting from scratch? Yeah, 100%. Duh. <laughs> if we're going by the expansion rules that the Kraken and uh, Knights have, then for sure. They, yeah, super it would be the exact same company. exact same thing. You'd have to give away everything on the condition that <laughs> Terry sells the team. The world. Yeah, do you want the this one of the biggest dumbasses in the sport who seems to barely care about his team? Or do you want to get to start over from scratch uh, with a process that's led to one team winning a cup within six years, appearing in a cup in its first year and making the playoffs, I think six of its first seven seasons or five or six, whatever it'll be six or seven soon. And another team was in the playoffs in the second round game seven by year two. Yes. Take that hundred percent. Is that a great deal? Is, is your quickness in answering that more indicative of your lack of faith in the front office and coaching staff or the roster, because I think it is important to keep in mind here that sitting on this team right now, and maybe all it takes is a coaching change, but you do have guy like a, a true number one defenseman, a guy who projects to be on the level of a number one defenseman. You have a 90 plus point scorer who is capable of scoring 40 to 50 goals in a given year. If put in the right positions, uh, a wealth of high-end prospects and and picks that could be used as currency for trade chips, and you have a handful of other very good younger players. Keeping all that in mind, is the answer still a 100% yes, not even thinking about it? Yeah, because for us specifically, it's more long-term. I think you could point to a lot of situations where a team is about to rebuild. Like, I, I don't know who's a good example right now, but maybe even Tampa. And saying like, oh, Tim, no, well, that's tough because I don't want to lose all those guys. I don't know. Someone that's about to rebuild, uh, maybe Nashville. Nashville's a good example. They're like, Nashville, you trade. And we're, so you could keep your name in arena and all that shit. You trade us all your stuff, uh, including, let's say, including your GM and coaches and your whole minor league department, all that stuff. You get trade us everything and you get to be the expansion team under the same expansion rules. I think short term wise, that's good for Nashville. I think it, it's just easier than rebuilding. You get to do an expansion draft. That's and that's if you're like in median shape. But like the Sabres have, it's a long-term answer. Like, yeah, expansion, that means you're probably going to be here for a while. And Pagula, that's all he's good for is the fact that we're, we're here. 
while he's uh, as long as he's alive. So I just just getting that albatross off from around your neck. That's uh, it's too good of a deal to pass up. I do that in a second. Hard to disagree with that. I think even taking all of those things into consideration, I agree. And I think that if that also, I, I mean, of course there's like the unknown of who said owner to replace Terry would be, but. To think, be Ryan, Ryan Smith or whatever his name is, right? Wouldn't it just be the, the new owner is going to be. Oh, like the Utah guy, the jazz guy. Yeah. All right. Game on that. Then if that's the case, then yeah, for sure. It's Do not fun even crossover things. Whoever our new star player is going to be in this scenario, fun crossovers with uh Lori Markinen or whoever. Yeah. That means also then I guess that the the Jazz have to come to Buffalo. Finally getting an NBA team. <laughs> yeah, God, uh, I can't imagine that would I mean be very successful here, but I guess we'll see. You really not out of curiosity. I understand obviously everything that comes into play when it comes to like the size of the city that we already have two sports team, two professional sports teams here. I don't know why, man. I I I don't know if I'm crazy or not, but I have a very irrational belief that I feel like the NBA, if they brought it back here, I think it would do well. I think that the NBA can expand to just about any mid-sized or above market at this point. And with how well the league is marketed, how well the players are marketed and just the standing of the NBA among the major sports leagues, I think it would do pretty well here, or at least be able to like be a middle of the pack kind of, franchise in terms of generating revenue relative to the size of the market that you're in uh i don't know i mean I know they never would move here obviously but I'm I not know. even just them just like if there was like an expansion or something along those lines i don't know or or somebody relocated whatever yeah i don't think they so a couple of things i mean obviously they would never choose buffalo but right i think too much of success is wrapped up not too much but too much for Buffalo's sake is wrapped up in like corporate sponsorships and things like that. Mm -hmm. And Buffalo just does not have corporate money at the level that other cities do. Even cities you might think of comparable like Charlotte or whatever, they're bigger and richer and they have more big time uh, corporate money. Uh, so that's a big part of any new team moving somewhere recently or not recently, but in the, in the recent past, it's been a big deal to have your own RSN for baseball and basketball in particular hockey the Sabres have that figured out but would they I mean they obviously wouldn't play an MSG this new NBA team so that'd be another big concern it's also smaller than a lot of these places and then you're getting into the idea of how many times would you be able to fill the arena in a year which is the whole original one of the big original reasons the Braves had trouble and had to leave when sure. gate revenue was more important to your overall bottom line how often would that happen so I think there's a there's a somewhat small chance you could succeed in that way, especially if they were good. But in every other way, I just don't see it as a possibility. Yeah, I'm not saying that in terms of it actually being a thing that might happen. I do not foresee in any scenario that Buffalo would get an NBA team. I just, like I said, maybe it, uh, I'm completely okay with being wrong about it and it seeming crazy or stupid or whatever, but I don't know. There's just, I, I feel like it could work here if they were good. Obviously, if they were miserable like the Sabres, then we're having the same conversations. But if they were a competitive team and fun and they had like a legitimate superstar player on the team, I could see it working out. Yeah, maybe. Let's get the Lakers or the Celtics to relocate to Buffalo. It shouldn't be too hard, right? Yeah, well, there is a whole to do with the Celtics that basically the Celtics did something not that dissimilar to what we just um described with the Braves but this Braves and Celtics traded owners mm. and the Celtics okay I, I remember exactly how this happened because John Y. Brown I know was involved he I believe the he came to Buffalo from Boston I could be having this backwards and then you know Buffalo was kind of stripped for parts and moved to San Diego yeah and then LA after that and took all the way until 2021 to make a conference final Bring back the Braves. Hey. You heard it here first. Maybe all the upstate New York teams will come back someday if this really is a climate haven. That's what we need. There we the go. The Syracuse Nationals, the Rochester Royals. How do we not even have like a G League team, though? I feel like that's even kind of interesting. Yeah, anywhere in upstate. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty weird. 
That is weird, actually. Right? For like Cleveland or something? Or the Knicks? I mean. Yeah. I should look at where all the G League affiliates play. I would be curious to know that. Yeah. If there's like a certain. <laughs> this is a sure sign no one wants to talk about the Sabres. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we went from Sabres lose to Anaheim to start off West Coast road trip to. Do you think that maybe we could become Toronto's G League affiliate for the NBA? <laughs> No, see, that's a good idea, too. Let me look here. Teams. Where are these guys all playing? Wow, there are interesting spots. I mean, these these places, it makes me think Rochester could have one. Like, Birmingham has one. Uh, D.C. has their own. Cleveland has their own. So that, that might be part of it. What about Toronto? Maybe they're like Hamilton or something. That's probably, let me see. Uh, no, it's in Mississauga. Good lord. Town of Andrew Nicholson. Shout out. Yeah, which is honestly not that much different in size than Buffalo, if I'm remembering correctly. It's uh well, I'm looking right now on Wikipedia. Yeah. It's population in the saga. It is seven hundred and seventeen thousand. So bigger than Buffalo. <laughs> I would not have Oh, is that it. the city itself or the entire metro area? Uh city. Damn. Yeah, seriously. The metro area is 1.5 million. What? Wow. Mississauga is the seventh biggest city in Canada. What is the... Damn, I don't think I ever realized that. What is the... The Buffalo metro is like, what, like 1.1 or something or 1.2? Yeah, it's it's in the 1 million range. Yeah. Uh, also, it looks like the... Westchester Knicks play in White Plains. Come on. Moving to Buffalo. Yeah, that's interesting. Where does Brooklyn's team play? I'm looking for an answer that I don't think there is one. Hmm. That's could that be right? Oh no, there is one. Sorry. Oh yeah. So Jesus, this is even worse. The Long Island Nets and Uniondale. No comment on that. Oh boy. I actually remember I was in Oklahoma City a few years ago. Their G League team plays next door to their NBA team pretty much. In their oh, in OKC? Yeah. So I guess we're not going to get theirs either. But anyway, moving on. What to, an awesome episode. Yeah. Is there anything – who do they have next after, obviously, they play the Kings by the time this episode comes out? The powerhouse San Jose Sharks. Oh, hell yeah. Okay, that's great. I mean, that could get Granado fired. <laughs> Is that Saturday? Yes. Saturday. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So we have that. Uh, and then, you know, we'll talk Sunday. Maybe. Hey, but we can't announce, though. Our pal Doug Bodger, 90s Sabres defenseman, is going to be joining us for our Thursday episode. So a week from today, folks, make sure you're tuning in. Our first episode of February, we are going to be joined by former Sabres defenseman Doug Bodger. So going to be a great time. We'll talk about his time with the Sabres. Last couple of times he's been on, we had some really great conversations with him about his time with the Penguins as well, and just throughout the rest of the NHL and his career, his coaching career, we'll get his thoughts on the team, what he's seeing, what he thinks needs to change, and just what he's been up to these days. So make sure you tune in, but we're very excited to have Doug back. Absolutely. Definitely. Do you have anything else you want to even say? <laughs> well, do you have thoughts on either the MLB Hall of Fame, sorry, Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, Results or the Oscars thoughts? Wait, the results came out today for the MLB Hall of Fame. Yeah, last night. So Tuesday they came out. Yeah, Todd Helton, Joe Maurer, and Adrian Beltre, in addition to Leland, Jim Leland, who was already announced. Adrian, but all right. Well, I mean, what are your thoughts? You're more of a baseball guy these days than I am, but I mean, Maurer, I feel like is a no-brainer. I think Helton is probably fair, right? He was a 500 home run guy, and Beltre had a crazy longevity with his career if i'm not mistaken i was almost beltray is one of the weirdest careers honestly um it's it's fascinating because beltray was a good young guy and then he had this his i think his age 25 season was 04 he was second mvp voting somehow was not an all-star that year second mvp voting like 49 home runs or something and was was a contract year it becomes a free agent goes to Seattle, his age 26 through 30 seasons, really your prime in baseball those five years, was just okay, most of them. And he leaves, 
goes to Boston for one year and was awesome. And then goes to Texas and just basically until his late thirties kicked ass. And the end of his career, you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe how good his numbers are. For a guy that was kind of eh, for the, the prime five years of his career, he had 3000 hits, a thousand extra base hits. I think almost a thousand walks, a few hundred steals and played incredible third base defense. And it's like, wow, yeah, I guess it does make sense that he, this is kind of crazy that he had the same first ballot, um, Results is Babe Ruth. I'm looking right now. This is nuts with Beltre. So he didn't make his first all-star appearance until he was 31 years old. He has the third highest war um, ever among third basemen. And he is among only four players in MLB history, regardless of position, to reach 400 homers, 3,000 hits, and five gold gloves. Yeah, it's it's astounding. Yeah, he just was really... Really, really good for a long time. I'd say this, though. So the opposite is true of Joe Maurer. Uh, Joe Maurer w- was incredible in his 20s and then just was kind of eh after he was 30. Because, he, I mean, he had concussion issues, but he became mm-hmm. both no longer a catcher, which makes your offense, I guess, less impressive if you're a first baseman. Um, but it should theoretically get better because you're not worried about catching, but it got significantly worse. Probably, I mean, the concussions must have affected him. Um, but Maurer... Him getting in, especially in a first ballot like this, kind of makes me think that Andrew Jones should get in. Jones had what? He had over 60%, right? I'm going through. Also, holy shit, Todd Helton only had 369 home runs. 1,400 RBIs will will do the trick, but I didn't realize he had such a lower uh, home run total. Yeah, but his his batting average and on base were crazy high throughout his career. Yeah. Not even just because of Coors Field. Wow. I mean, 316, 414, 539 slash line. That is nuts. Exactly. And I'm sure okay. he had a lot of doubles. He I mean, he must have. Uh but yeah, so he he's yeah, that, that's a good one. Uh, fun fact that I I I knew of, but it's kind of I never heard it put this way. The 1994 Tennessee Volunteers quarterback room. His two Hall of Famers in it now, Peyton Manning and Todd Helton. Amen. That's incredible. Todd Helton, Joe Maurer, both um, huge quarterback prospects coming out of high school. Uh, anything else? Yeah, I'm mean, just the Andrew Jones thing. I mean, Andrew Jones was unbelievable in his 20s, and then just nothing after the age of 29. Just Do you not think good. Billy Wagner <laughs> should get in? He was pretty close, 73%, 73.8%. Yeah. yeah, he'll get in next year. It'll be his last year. I'm kind of okay with Wagner getting in. He's one of a bunch of guys in this ballot that are just like, well, fine. Like Wagner is like his ERA is unbelievable. His strikeouts per nine innings, all, all those things, his um, you'd say per pitcher per game stats, but his no, no postseason stuff to really talk about. He had a 10 postseason ERA. And then he only pitched 915 innings or something like that. And it's like, eh, that's kind of right in the border. Like he's, he was unbelievable when he did pitch. That's, under a thousand is tough, but if you got in, I wouldn't. I think that'd be fine. I can't take I mean, it seriously that Alex Rodriguez hasn't gotten in. I know. There's Let's a lot normalize of steroids, folks. Listen, did A Rod juice? Yes. But you know who else did steroids? Tristan Thompson this week got caught. My man was putting up like three points a game. <laughs> Juicing. Okay. All steroid users are not created equal. Okay. If you use steroids and you are like legitimately awesome from it. I think you should still be able to get in. If you're yeah, like a mid before and after what's that? And before and after. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like if you're if you're like some mid player, you're at the tail end of your career and you're trying to do it as like a latch this last ditch effort to revitalize your career or something and you still suck, then of course do not take these people seriously. But if you are awesome before and after taking steroids and during taking steroids, I think maybe most of all, I think that that should be celebrated. Yes. Uh, Shout out Barry Bonds too. Yeah. So that's an interesting thing. A-Rod and Manny are way below, or they're noticeably below where uh, Bonds and Clemens were. I did a whole bunch on this back the last time the Sabres were terrible, and we used to talk about (laughs) other stuff in the pod. So like three years ago, I did a whole long thing. I think it was A-Rod's first year on the ballot. I think it's when Ortiz got in. Anyway, I mean, the Ortiz thing makes no sense to me, but whatever. I, it actually makes it makes no sense at all. It's I think people just don't want to believe it because he's such a nice guy and Clemens and Bonds are not. And then you have these guys that their career numbers are kind of weird and that they actually are more borderline cases than you think, like Sosa McGuire and Palmero. But Pudge, 
he's in, Ortiz is in. There's a bunch of guys that did. I mean, the, I guess you would say the pre-1980s versions of steroids, which is to say any advantage they could get, like greenies and amphetamines and stuff, like the Willie Mazes and Hank Aarons of the world. Way before then, when these things were probably actively harmful, like Babe Ruth, there's a story of him eating like monkey ligaments or something like that because he was told by some quack that would make him stronger Jesus. and it got him really sick. Like things like that. There's always been people searching for advantages and then like steroids came wrong and they were too good of an advantage, also too dangerous. So like I very in favor of them being illegal and all the other things that have come post steroids. Like what A-Rod really got caught for and what, but the reason he's really not in the Hall of Fame is the uh, testosterone treatments. That's what he got suspended for in 2014 or the entire 2014 season. The, the problem I have is with the difference between A-Rod Manny and those guys. So you have A-Rod Manny, definite by their numbers, 100% Hall of Famers, pretty much everyone would agree. Same with Clemens and Bonds. They were like 20 to 30 points, I think like basically 30 points back of where those guys were because I think there's a huge number of voters that went either steroids weren't illegal at the time, can't hold that against them, or, well, I do want to hold it against them, but Bud Seeley got in and he covered it up. So whatever, they have to be in. And then there's... Those people kind of understand the least because they, they look at those guys and then they, they shift to A-Rod Manny or like, well, they got suspended when it was uh, after steroids became illegal, which makes sense. It's logical, but there's this leap that's necessary. And it's like, and the punishment is no Hall of Fame ever. There needs to be something between there where you explain that, in my opinion. It feels like you're just trying to split the difference um, to seem reasonable. I think it's kind of unreasonable unless you explain that further. I read a piece where a guy... Um, was laying out basically what I said. Um, he still didn't want any of the steroid guys in, but he he uh, kind of said, I understand the argument for the guys that the Bonds and Clemens crew before it was actually uh, illegal in the game. <laughs> you know, before they did testing, before testing was a big thing. And with A-Rod and Manny, he's like, well, if you, you don't think they should be, and I guess you just don't think people should, or the rules to apply, should apply to some people. It's like, that's a really stupid thing to say, right? Because mm -hmm. the rules did apply to them. They got suspended. The rules laid out what was illegal and a punishment. It had nothing to fucking do with you, buddy. Nothing to do with Hall of Fame voters. So if you really want this, I've never, ever, ever, ever read a satisfying argument for the people that think Clemens and Bonds, yes, A-Rod, Manny, no. Hell it, yeah. That before you get to all the other shit, like it's a museum. Uh, they would have been Hall of Famers regardless. I mean, it's just stupid. It doesn't exist in any other sport. I know there are guys in the NFL Hall of Fame that used them. There's guys that got caught for steroids during our career that are going to make the NFL Hall of Fame, Pro Football Hall of Fame. Sorry. Totally. I mean, it's just it's a dumb thing to me, uh, but I, I'm not too mad. I can't just do that rant every year. So I'll just say the Andrew Jones thing doesn't make sense to me anymore. I got it for years, like longevity. You can't be that bad after age 30 and make it. But now Joe Maurer's in, and it's like, well, I don't know what the argument is anymore. No, that's fair. <laughs> so the Oscars. <laughs> oh my God. What a goddamn tire fire Twitter was. Very strange. Oh There's been a lot of boy arguing because people don't see a lot of the movies and then they have their opinions and other people have their other opinions and it's kind of whatever. I don't know. Do you have any questions? Because I there's a million things I could yeah. say. I know that you have seen have you seen okay, I, I have thoughts that I want to share and get your thoughts on. Have you seen all of the best picture nominees? No, half okay. of them. I plan to see the other half pretty soon. I mean, obviously the pressing thing with this is not press. I mean, the most talked about snubs, quote unquote, were for Barbie, for Margot Robbie and, and Greta Gerwig. <laughs> My thoughts on it are pretty much like for one, I could see if the argument was focused on how did Margot Robbie not get nominated for lead actress, but America Ferrara got nominated for supporting actress that I can, I, I will listen to that all day because I agree. Fun movie. Margot Robbie was excellent in it. She elevated the role. Not everybody could have played that part and she did a great job of it. A hundred percent. Do I think she was deserving of, of getting that nod? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, granted, there's only a certain amount, but the same people who are getting mad about it are glossing over the fact that it's very likely that we're going to have the first Native American woman to win lead actress 
I just am wondering like the amount of outrage, the people who are like so over the top outraged about this, that they're getting legitimately mad and saying that this is indicative of some larger point. How many of these other movies did you actually watch? How many of these other actors and actresses who were nominated in these roles were you watching these movies? I don't know. I mean, they weren't. And, and, and I will say, let me be clear that while I'm very annoyed by those people who are doing that, like that also does not excuse the inverse of that, which is all of the idiots who then are using it to be misogynistic and saying shitty things then. Th these two things can coexist at once. Like that shit is obviously not cool and rightfully deserves to be called out. But at the same time, Greta Gerwig not getting nominated in a year that, again, I haven't seen all of the movies, but I know that there was a lot of really good movies that had come out this year, a lot of critically acclaimed movies. But the fact that she didn't get it, she lost out to other very, very qualified women. I'll say this, though, with with Barbie and all this discourse, it has just been such a strange way to talk about a movie getting eight nominations. The third eight most nominations. nominations. Yeah, I, I just don't understand it. A lot of the discourse. And I'm going to be honest, this I, I think this will clarify to me is what I got to today. It's just thinking like this is just really people that get mad because spider-man no way home or something like that isn't being nominated and yeah i could say that as someone who didn't like that movie and i did like barbie but someone who does like spider-man no way home who's being reasonable uh would not have done that but it's being like you said there it's being supercharged by kind of social justice language which i think is really bad faith i think a lot of the memes i'm seeing uh, a lot of the takes are just ignore the fact that producer margot robbie her movie that she produced which the best picture now award goes to producers that's her yeah, with Gregor Wig and probably other people I don't actually know, but Margaret Robbie is one of those people. She's nominated for Best Picture as a producer. Greta Gerwig is nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. That was a big get. She got that over Killers of the Flower Moon. That's huge. Mm -hmm. And you know that's on top of all the other things. I don't I don't remember set design was one. You know the kind of the below the line production type awards. Uh, the two acting nominations, which again Greta Gerwig wrote. She wrote those. Uh, so that's just, it's a really bizarre thing to me. If you would have told me after I saw the movie last July, uh, that it got none of the above the line nominations. So like screenplay, director, best picture, any of the actors, I would have said, I would have shrugged. I mean, at that point of the year, there's a lot of big movies that haven't come out yet, but I know that's probably something people don't want to hear about Barbie, but I, it's a movie that I liked, but I don't, I, I don't, it was not. It's not at that level. And I think a lot of the takes um, about it have talked about how much money it made. And it's like, that's its own reward. That money, and then mm -hmm. ideally, what grants Greta Gerwig freedom to kind of do what she wants going forward with a good budget. Um, also, though, I, the money conversation is another interesting thing, too, because it's like, where's the campaign for Mission Impossible? Yeah. It made a zillion dollars. Like, same thing with what? Uh, what's the other top three one? Was it Avatar was the other big one that from this year? I mean, like what? Well, Avatar last, last year, year, whatever. We did Top Gun, not Mission Impossible. Did I say Mission? Oh, my bad. Uh, top Gun. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah Top Gun. Well, here's the top, top Gun and Avatar. Top, Avatar in 09 was the highest grossing movie of the year. Top Gun in 2022 was. They both got nominated for a decent amount of awards. Basically, none of the highest grossing movies of the year in the middle did. You go look at the list. Like, Finding Dory's on it. Uh, bad boys for life is on it like avengers endgame none of these these movies really harry potter is a good example these movies never got nominated for above the line awards and it goes beyond avatar you go back uh throughout the years it's pretty rare for the top movies there's like titanic there's the lord of the rings i think the top movie of the year does not really usually get nominated for this type of stuff i just think a lot of the people are coming from a place of ignorance i know that people aren't going to want to hear me say that uh if anyone's still listening to this podcast but it's just people have no idea how it works. And honestly, actually, I didn't know exactly how everything worked either. This was the year that I finally went. I got to look up how the voting works for uh, nominations, not for the voting for the actual awards. And I didn't realize it was ranked choice. And not to get too in the weeds explaining this, but when the nominations happen, the Academy, which is about 10,000 people, uh, they're broken up in every, every category but Best Picture, you're siloed. So directors vote for Best Director. That's I'm talking about nominations again. Uh, actors vote for actors and actresses, things like that. Um, you know, VFX people work for, vote for the VX, VFX awards. And what you do is you rank the, your your choices, but it doesn't work like sports MVP voting works. It does not like the Cy Young Award. Your first choice carries a ton of weight. So 
let's say, I don't know how this would work for Greta Gerwig or Barbie, for example, but I think there's possible, since so many people saw it, that if it did work the way I just described, that she would have been nominated. But what you need in the scenario is a lot of people, or a small group of people even, that believe in your movie being um, number one. And I think that finally made sense to me why you get so many more esoteric choices in these non-best picture categories. It's why you get in Best Director maybe three movies in there that frankly not a lot of people saw. Maybe more people in the director world saw them. But I'll put it this way. You're much better off ha having like 10% of people put you as number one and 50% of people just leave you off entirely than you are having 50% of people put you as number three and like four mm, number four. So like, she, I think it's just hard. I think if you, if I knew that beforehand, I would have bet the farm on Greta Gerwig not getting uh, nominated just because I don't think a lot of people in the director world would go, yes, that's my number one. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, it totally does. It totally does. I just, it's like, I'm not trying to minimize anybody's concerns or whatever, but like, I really just think a lot of this is chalked up to like, it's not that deep. Yeah. Can I yeah, say I though? It, it's not, I would also think with a lot of these things, it's not the Oscars fault. I mean, sometimes it is only three women have ever won best director, mm. which is bad. And maybe that says something about the makeup of the Oscar voters. Totally. But on the other hand, totally. Maybe it says more about the makeup of who gets to make quote unquote serious movies. True. Or movies that get a budget enough to do this. I, I just, that's changing, definitely changing, but I think it says more about that. I mean, it says something about the voters too, definitely. It's still, it's, it's still pretty crazy. I mean, I, I think, think it, both of those things are true. And to your point that you made before, the fact that the movie was so successful and grossed so much money ultimately feels like that's going to, again, kind of create a new path for more women directors to get to be at the helm of these like huge budget movies like that. Yeah, absolutely. I also thought, because I'm still not done with my catch-up, but I've I've seen 60, I think six, exactly 60 movies from 2023. A lot of them are not, I would not consider in this conversation. Like 40 of them I probably wouldn't consider in this conversation. Mm -hmm. But I, when I look, I was thinking of the best director thing. So I've only seen two of the five in best director. Uh, one of whom is a woman, the director of Anatomy of a Fall, Justine Trite. Mm -hmm. Like I've, I've seen, obviously, Killers of the Flower Moon and Oppenheimer of those five. And I'll, I'll see the other three. But I just thought if I was doing my own, not that I'm an expert or a director, I already have, I would have three in mind. Like, I don't think Greta Gerg was sixth. is isn't a slight against the movie or whatever, but it's like without even getting too much into the movie. Like, I think Alexander Payne, the director of The Holdovers, he wasn't, uh, he's not a best director. Uh, Wes Anderson for Asteroid City, not there. Those Sophie snubs Coppola. were crazy. Sophia Coppola for Priscilla. And it just, it yeah. comes down to it. The thing is, I think also confuses people is that there's both there's 10 best picture uh slots there's five slots for each of the uh adapted screenplay and original which means there's 10 screenplay slots then there's 10 slots for lead performances five for men five for women and then also 10 for supporting but only five for director so director is harder to get than any of the other awards uh and then it's also the case that some movies will have multiple in different categories and some uh, movies that aren't nominated for Best Picture might have something like Annette Bening nominated for Nyad. She's, you know, she's she's nominated for an award. Mm -hmm. So that it makes the math work out so that you can be nominated for Best Picture and then not a lot of other stuff, which actually isn't even the case for Barbie because Barbie is in both of the supporting categories and screenplay. So I guess at the end of it is, if you're a fan of Barbie, you should be really happy with this. This isn't like some fake progress type thing. It's a movie directed for directed produced by women written co-written by a woman uh for women of female audience primarily about the experience of being a woman that made a billion dollars internationally the highest grossing movie domestically and internationally and in frankly most countries in the anglosphere and got nominated for eight oscars and you know maybe you might win some of them that's good but i'm sorry the money thing money and the oscars colliding it it doesn't work like that and they they actually decided against doing what the golden globes did with the best box office achievement award because there's no real way to do it because it's total mm -hmm. nonsense. <laughs> but for sure. Um, yeah. uh, so that's, I don't know. I, I just, I thought that was bizarre. But, you know, I love subs because there's too many good, good spots. But I will say Maestro, yeah. Meh. Meh. Mm -hmm. We got all the way here after talking about the Sabres and we didn't even talk about the Bills at all. And I don't know if I want to right now. No, thank you. Great. Anything else you'd like to add before we sign off, Taylor? 
Yes, I'd like to recommend two movies. I just thought of this because most people have seen Barbie. But I thought one of the bigger, I don't want to say snubs because I haven't seen all the movies yet. But one of the, the people that I thought directed a great movie and kind of missed out on uh, a nomination when they could have gotten it is Sofia Coppola for Priscilla, which is about Priscilla Presley. I thought that was great. Fantastic movie. Another one, um, probably the, I'm going both with female directed here, the movie that I enjoyed, the, the female directed movie I enjoyed most of the year, but definitely probably in my top five funnest movies of the year uh, was Bottoms, directed by Emma Seligman, starring Rachel Sennett, Io Edaberry. What a picture. I enjoyed the hell out of that. So that's my recommendation. Beautiful. As always, we appreciate that film expertise of yours, Taylor. Well, with that being said, everybody, that'll do it for another episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites. Whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode, make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows. And make sure you're following the Charging Buffalo and the Hockey Podcast Network on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also find us, Straight Up Sabres. And before you close out of this app, whatever you're using to listen to this episode of Straight Up Sabres, make sure you are either following or subscribe to us or leave us a nice little rating or review as we'd very much appreciate it. And last but not least, we have our wonderful sponsor, folks. We love them so, so much. And that's DraftKings Sportsbook. Use the promo code THPN to take advantage of great deals at checkout. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Monday, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been Straight Up Sabres. Straight up Sabres.